It's episode 7 of the Gene Book Nerd Podcast. Now get to the chopper! This episode, we have a fantastic conversation with the awesome DJ McHale. Before that, though, a quick rundown of a few entertainment tidbits and news from the site. Somebody hit the drums! Welcome back, everyone. It's been a little over a week since our last episode. While we do try to be regular with our content, we still want to bring you guys things that you would want to check out. Otherwise, you might be stuck with me yapping for 45 minutes about who knows what. Anyway, the last episode I mentioned my excitement about the new Jurassic World movie, so I will share a few quick comments and move on. This movie was somewhat good. I do like the first Jurassic World film better, but this one is a story nonetheless. It seems like they are setting up the third movie to bookend the trilogy, Fallen Kingdom is a different type of Jurassic Park movie with some good visual shots. Not that the others don't, but it's just different, trust me. Some of the shots in this movie do pack an emotional punch, and as a filmmaker, I'm sure that's what they were aiming for. We have a few years before the next entry, so only time will reveal how this story ends. Moving away from the big screen to the small screen, I recently watched a few seasons of the Netflix original series Santa Clarita Diet. It's got two seasons streaming with the third on the way next year. Uh, most people know it as The Cannibal Show, which I had no interest in. Then I discovered what it was actually about. Now, what I share with you is in the trailer for the show, so there's no spoilers here. Uh, Drew Barrymore plays half of a husband and wife real estate team opposite of Timothy Oliphant. At a point, Drew Barrymore dies under mysterious circumstances and comes back to life. However, she is not alive. She is undead. They treat undead differently here, however, compared to, you know, typical zombie fare. The show isn't for the kids, I will warn you. It does have some colorful language, as well as an impressive use of practical special effects. It is a comedy, and I was presently surprised by what I watched. Uh, both uh, Barrymore and Oliphant give great comedic performances, especially Oliphant. I, I don't know how he gets into, into this role, but... Uh, he has some pretty good laughs coming from him. Uh, the trailers are checking out. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing, but uh, I was delightfully surprised by the show. I'm also catching up on Voltron. Uh, while I was on top of the series when it premiered, I have fallen behind. I mean, I'm just starting season three. So it is nice to be able to burn through the episodes that, that are up, and the show is getting better. Not that it was bad, but it is getting better as it goes on because it's continuing to build its universe and it's not getting stale. So that's pretty cool. Another series I've checked out is called The Toys That Made Us. It's an eight-part documentary series with each episode focusing on a specific brand of toy from the old days, like the 80s and 70s and whatnot, and what made them so popular. You have episodes that cover properties such as Transformers, Lego, and Barbie, to name a few. I was also apprehensive to, to watch it because it is a documentary, but the way they edit it and the narration makes this thing a joy to watch. I found it interesting. Maybe you will, too. What are you guys watching or reading? Let us know by email at podcast at genebooknerd.com or tweet me directly on the Twitter at newmarkymark, new being spelled N-U, then Marky Mark. A slew of new content is available over on the genebooknerd.com website, 
This includes some interviews with Wendy Walker, Mark Zaslov, and Mary Taranta, to name a few. There is also a newsletter sign up on the site to never miss upcoming news, but you guys already knew that. Let's move on to my chat with DJ Mikkel. He is a storyteller across multiple mediums, some TV, film, and books. You learn more in the interview. That's enough for me. Let's get into the story told by the storyteller about storytelling. Still with me? All right, good. Let's roll it. Hey guys, this is Mark. We're talking with DJ Mikhail. He's been a storyteller for quite a few years. He started behind the camera and then he moved into writing. DJ, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Mark. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for coming on and speaking with us a little bit. Now, I know I gave just a very, very brief little bit about who you are, but can you tell us in your own words, who is DJ Mikhail? Uh, where do I start? I should be do something completely off book here, but I won't. Um... I've, I'm, I'm a storyteller, as you said. Uh, I've been making TV shows for kids and writing books for kids, or for young people, I should say, for more decades than I care to admit to. Um, I started out on TV, as you said. Um, I adapted uh, a number of books for TV. I, I created, probably best known for a TV show I created called uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark that ran on Nickelodeon for a very long time. Uh, but I did a bunch of other things, too. And um, on about uh, the late 2000s or mid-2000s, uh, kids' TV was kind of changing. And they were going to all comedies. And, and I don't really write comedy. No, I take that back. I don't write comedy at all. <laughs> um, so I kind of made the decision that if, if I wanted to continue writing the kinds of uh, adventurous, supernatural, science fiction, fantasy-type things that, that I enjoy so much, I'd have to move over to books. So that's when I started writing books. And my first book series was, uh, it still is, a series called Pendragon, Journey of an Adventure Through Time and Space. It's a 10-book series. Uh, but I published about, I think my 20th book just came out last year. Um, so, and, and oddly enough, and now I'm kind of moving back into TV again. So things are all cyclical because cause the TV industry is changing a little bit, changing back again. I guess it's like a pendulum. So in a nutshell, that's, uh, that's DJ McHale. Great. You actually touched on a couple things there. First off, I remember growing up with Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I had no idea because I had to go back and look it up a little bit because I couldn't remember specifics. I had no idea it was on the air that long. I just remember being on during the summer and checking it out and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool that it ran so long. As a storyteller, I like the fact that you didn't change the kind of stories you wanted to tell. You changed medium so you could still tell what you wanted to tell. And that, that's pretty cool, I think. Well, it's, it's one of the things I always say to, to not just young aspiring writers, but all aspiring writers, is that you can't necessarily choose the kind of thing you want to write. Um, you have to write what comes out, and that applies to all creativity. Uh, you know, my, my kind of standard joke is that I would love to be able to paint, but, but I can barely draw breath, so I'm not going to be <laughs> drawing. It's just not going to happen. Um, so the kinds of things that I write, it's just what comes out. So, for example, I, I just don't think, I mean, there's a lot of humor in what I write, but it would never be characterized as a comedy. So I don't think I could, even if I wanted to, I could even write a comedy. So it's kind of like it, what you do creatively chooses you as opposed to you choosing it is what it comes down to. 
Right, right. When you started storytelling behind the camera, did you ever think you would go in the direction of being an author and writing books? Or was that just something that kind of came about because of what you saw happening with TV was changing, so you made a change? Um, that was No, that was never the plan. Uh, in fact, if anything, it was the exact opposite because I got into filmmaking in school you know, as early as eighth grade, I think it was, uh, because I didn't like writing. And writing to me was sitting down in a chair and looking at a blank piece of paper, and, and, and I just hated the discipline of having to do that. So, but in school, you have to write. Everyone in school is a writer. So in order to get out of writing various papers and essays and whatnot, my friends and I would make videos about whatever the subject was instead. And, uh, you know, not realizing there's just as much writing involved in that as there is writing that paper. And in fact, if anything, we ended up doing a lot more work than if we'd just written the dumb right. papers. So, so I started doing that not because I considered myself or enjoyed writing, but I just, I enjoyed storytelling. That's, you know, the generic term. And when I went to college, I ended up going to film school, to NYU film school, but to be a director or a producer, none of this writing thing. And it wasn't until I got there that the light bulb went off and I realized, oh, you know, whether I like it or not, I am a writer. And my way into the film business was as a writer. You know, a lot of people make films to get into the film business or get jobs on films. I, I did it through writing. So, so the plan was never really to write books. It wasn't until I had the idea for my Pendragon series that, and it was too long for a movie and too big and expensive for a TV show that I thought, oh, maybe I'll write a book. Um, and, and it really wasn't a conscious effort, to be honest, at the time to say, oh, this TV thing is drying up, I'm going to write a book. Because frankly, at, at the time I was writing the early Pendragon books, I was simultaneously producing a TV series called Flight 29 Down. So, so six months out of the year, I'd be working on a Pendragon book. The other six months out of the year, I'd be producing Flight 29 Down. So I was kind of doing both. And it's just that the book thing took off. You know, I never really expected Pendragon to become a bestseller or anything. I just wrote it because it's what came out of my head. But it, fortunately, it did take off. And so that kind of put me down a track that I never really planned on going down. And what year did your first Pendragon book come out? Merchant of Death was published in 2002, um, and I made Flight 29 down through 2007, so probably through about five Pendragon books. I was doing both, and the last Pendragon book came out in 2009, I think it was. Wow, so you wrote you wrote ten Pendragon books in, in, that, in that short time. Well, the, well the, the first three were written before the first one even came out. Oh, okay. So... So they came out boom, 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 like every three months, and uh, and I I think that everyone kind of got spoiled to say, oh, when's the next one coming out? Well, then suddenly it slowed down considerably, <laughs> and and they started coming out once every year towards the end. There, that sounds like you were a victim of uh, what George uh, George R R Martin's dealing with right now with that last Game of Thrones book. Everyone's jumping at the bit waiting for that thing. Well, it, it was kind of fun because and. And, you know, certainly readers don't necessarily understand the publication process where I would be getting, you know, inundated with emails saying, write faster, write faster, get the book out. And my answer was always just like, 
don't look at me. Look at the publisher. The book's done. The book's been done for months. <laughs> you should write to them to say publish faster. Yeah. With that being your first book series, you said it was kind of a surprise and a nice surprise that it did catch on the way it did. But with you dropping those first three back to back, was it exhilarating to get the feedback that people were really wanting, you know, the next book in the series or, or your next project to come out? Was that a, a, a good feeling? Uh, well, sure. Well, eventually, but it didn't happen right away. Pendragon didn't even take off right away. Um, it was, you know, the first three came out, and it really didn't didn't do great. It was fine. It got into some book fairs and did okay. The the real turning point for Pendragon happened um, a couple. It was like a confluence of convergence of events that if if you could use this equation. And, I, and I'm sure, sure the publisher would love to say, yes, we planned it this way, but they didn't. It was just by total dumb luck. Um, the first three books came out in paperback only, and they did okay, and they did okay in book fairs. But the thing about book fairs is that book fairs don't report to the bestseller list. They don't count on bestseller lists. So Pendragon is really kind of under the radar. And then a number of things happened. The fourth Pendragon book came out, and there was a real twist at the end. The twist at the end being the good guys didn't win. It was a real kind of surprise ending. And so that kind of set the tone to say, oh, this isn't exactly where we thought it was going to go from a reader's point of view. And then from that book until when the fifth book came out, um, they started slowing down in terms of publication. So I think it was like six or seven months before the fifth book came out. So there was appetite being built up for the book to find out what happened. And then by complete dumb luck, <laughs> the fifth book came out in August. And it, August means it came out before schools were back in session. So therefore, it was before book fairs started happening. So if you were waiting for that book to come out, and you and it came out, you had to go to a bookstore to buy it. That put it on the bestseller list. And suddenly that's when Pendragon took off. And, and another complete dumb luck thing happened that um, the, the New York Times has a lot of bestseller lists. And they had, back then, the kids' bestseller list. There's only one. There might have been two. It was like picture book and then, and then chapter books. And the week that Pendragon 5 came out, was the last week before the New York Times introduced an additional bestseller list. And that best that additional list they, they introduced was series, book series. And the reason why they created book series was because of Harry Potter. Because what was happening is that Harry Potter would take up three or four spaces on the bestseller list. So it wasn't allowing any other books to get in there. So what they said was, okay, from now on, as soon as the third book comes out of a series, it's going to go to the series list. So what happened was that fifth Pendragon book came out the last week before the series book hit, and it went to number one on the bestseller list. If it had come out a week later, there's no way it would have hit number one because, of course, Harry Potter was number one because suddenly all the Harry Potter books were thrown into one, you know, one. it was called Harry Potter as opposed to Harry Potter and the Sorcerers or whatever it was called. 
So, so all these things happened at once to put Pendragon onto the number one of the bestseller list, and that's when it took off, and that's when the anticipation started, and then it got very cool. Then, then, it, then, then, in answer to your question, yeah, then it was very cool and it was very fun <laughs> as people were waiting for the next book. Wow, that's quite a story about the story getting out there. That's cool to hear how it's almost like, I want to say a victim of circumstance, but everything lined up, and like you said, it was just dumb luck, but hey, it's good to be lucky. So there's something I do want to ask about. Gene asked me to ask you about a new entry into the library series. Is, is one of those on the way or or anything like that on the horizon? Yeah, the, uh, the library is, the second book has come out. Uh, the library is a series of, of spooky stories. It's about a, uh, a group of kids who enter this magical place called the library. And the library is filled with uh, unfinished supernatural stories that within that world, they're true stories. You know, they're not really true stories, but they're within their world, they're true stories. So the premise is the kids can enter this library, take an unfinished book off the shelf, enter the book, and actually take part in the mystery and in the supernatural event and try to solve it and complete the book. Uh, the second one is, is out. It's called Black Moon Rising. The third book will be, won't be out until October, and that's called The Oracle of Doom, and that'll be out in October. I think the paperback of Black Moon Rising will be out in September, and then the third will be out in, uh, in October. Okay, cool. Now, just to follow up, is each individual book that you write an independent adventure? You said that these, these kids go into the book and they take part in the story. Is each book that you write just one of their stories, or is it like a small anthology inside that book? You know, three different stories inside one book. Um, it, it is, it's one story. It, it is a little... Le all the other series that I've written between uh, Pendragon and Morpheus Road and the Silo Chronicles... They are, the Morpheus Road and Silent Chronicles are trilogies, so three books. Um, they're all serialized, continuing stories. They're all part of a grand adventure. With the library, it's a little bit different. The library is a little bit more anthological, meaning each book is about a particular story within the library that they try to solve. Um, you know, so theoretically, you could take the books and read them out of order, and it really won't make any difference. But I did, in these first couple of books, I did kind of do a through line. It's always better to read them in order because you get to know the characters and all that. Um, and it's also good to read the first book first, which is called Curse of the Boggan, um, because that sets it all up. But you could read those books out of order and, and get a complete beginning, middle, and end. Um, but but there's, there's a slight through line that goes through them, but, but it's not critical to read them in order, kind of like my other series, which is really critical to read them in order, because you'd be lost if you don't. Right, right. Well, that's cool. So there's a loose connection, but you can pick up book three, and, and you don't have to have any prior knowledge. So that's cool. And, and frankly, and even even the, the first, I would say, first seven Pendragons are kind of like that, where I, even though each book has its own individual adventure, with the beginning, middle, and end, they're also each book is also the next chapter in the grand adventure of, of everything. But with those first seven books, I kind of seeded in enough backstory to get you back up to speed if you happen to pick up book four and not having read book one through three. When it got to book eight, nine, and ten, I stopped doing that. I just it's just <laughs> like you know, if, if you don't know by now, you forget it. So I, it, so they each book should have started with the words and then. <laughs> you know, it's just like all one big, one big story. 
Okay. Now, I did see some advertisement for, I guess it was a long gestating project for you. It's called the Equinox Curiosity Shop. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that uh, that's awesome. That That's an interesting uh, situation where I, back when you asked if I thought I was going to be an author, way back when, um, and I said I didn't, um, I guess maybe I did a little bit because I was just right. I wrote a lot of different things. I wrote I wrote plays, I wrote short stories, I wrote, this is before I kind of got a foothold in TV. And one of the things I wrote was this book, a uh, uh, middle grade book called The Equinox Curiosity Shop. And I had no idea what to do with this book. And therefore I did nothing with it. And over the years, everyone's while I'd pick it up again and say, wow, this is really pretty good. And I'd rewrite it. And over the years, I've probably written this thing, rewritten this thing a hundred times. And not that long ago, I came across it again and said, you know, this is too good not to do something with. So uh, my agent sent it out, and uh, the people that really wanted to do it were, were the Audible people. And they said, we would love to do an Audible original book with this. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I haven't thought, thought of that before. And, and so much of my writing is storytelling. I, I, I'm the first to admit, I, I, I don't write the greatest prose in the world. When you read my books, you're not getting lost in the literary loveliness of the, <laughs> of the prose and the writing. It's, I tell stories, and I tell stories almost like I, I verbally tell stories, like I'm telling you right now, and that's so much of my style. And so I thought, wow, what an interesting thing to take one of my stories and actually do make it a, a verbal storytelling thing. Now, all my books are out on, on audio as well, but they're always kind of after the fact. It's, it's the, the print is the, is the number one thing, and then the find that on audible.com right yep that's the that's the one and only place that's it's an audible exclusive 
elusive. Nice. And so, DJ, you mentioned that you were kind of coming back around to TV. Can you tell us anything about any upcoming projects, or is that call kind of still under wraps? Um, under wraps is probably the best way to put it. I, I have a number of shows that I've put out there. I have one show that's in development at Amazon. Uh, there's um, you, it's, it's, I hate to jinx things because as soon as you as soon as you announce something, then it either jinx it or or if it doesn't happen, then it's like whatever happened to that thing. So so I have a number of shows. Some are adaptations of my books actually. Um, that I have knock on wood. They're looking pretty good. That that we'll have a shot of, of producing. Um, but I hate to be specific about it because because um, I don't know what's going to happen. The, the one that's probably furthest along is the show at Amazon, which is not based on one of my books. Um, but it's been going on for two years now, and it's just like oh, it's so frustrating. Um, but that's got a pretty good shot of, of going to series, I think. Um, so uh, so yeah, so it's kind of fun getting back to writing scripts again um, because it, it's such a different experience and, and it's way easier to write a script quite honestly <laughs> so uh so so stay tuned over the next year or two you may be seeing some some new shows and movies for me knock on wood well by no means do we want to jinx you i'll be sure to rap on the table for you when the interview is over but uh no specifics because no jinxing I do like Amazon's original programming, so I'll keep an eye out there for it. Well, I'll keep an eye out anywhere for any of your projects coming out. DJ, it's been a pleasure. I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It sounds like you're extremely busy, so we, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and chatting with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Have, have everybody go to uh, DJ McHale Books. That's uh, that's my website. You can read all about those books. And uh, and, uh, and and Gene Book Nerd is an awesome site, and Gene is wonderful. And, uh, and thanks for having me on. Okay. And before you do go, do you have any other social media you'd like them to find you at? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it ain't hard to find me. So, you know, between Facebook, DJ McHale on Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and Instagram. Yeah, I'm on all three of those platforms. I'm not on Tumblr. That's the one thing I haven't figured out yet. But <laughs> but between uh, DJ McHale on Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and Instagram. Uh, come say hi and, and, and go to my website I answer all my email if you have any questions about the books uh, you can reach me through the uh, through the website okay thanks again DJ we'll talk to you again soon okay okay Mark thank you alright thanks welcome back to the present although by the time you listen to this it will be the past so that means you're in the future what is it like do we have flying cars and jetpacks Okay, okay. It was awesome getting to chat with DJ. We had a little mix-up with technical difficulties, and he stuck with us and still chatted with us even though we were running behind. So I do want to thank him for taking the time out of his busy schedule. I spoke with DJ for a few minutes after the interview ended, and I had to share a story of my own with him. During our chat, he revealed that tidbit about himself and his school friends making videos instead of doing written reports for school assignments. I shared with him the fact I did that in school as well growing up. He also mentioned how easy it is these days to pull something like that off. I wish I was doing it these days. I had a shoulder-mounted VHS camcorder and everything was shot in sequence. There was no editing going on there. If you are some of a younger audience, ask your parents what a VHS is. That's going to wrap up the show. Be sure to check out DJ's website at djmikhailbooks.com. 
Also, be sure to follow him on your social network platform of your choosing. You heard him. He isn't that hard to find. As always, a special thank you to today's guest and to you for checking this out. If you happen to be listening through the Gene Book Nerd website, you can also find this podcast on Apple Podcast as well as Google Music for your listening on the go. Also, before we say goodbye, if you have suggestions for guests or topics that you'd like to hear about on the podcast, feel free to shoot an email to the email address. Again, that was podcast at genebooknerd.com. That's the end of this story, thus we turn another page for GeneBookNerd.com. Now if you'll excuse me, I have a choppa to catch. Take it away, DJ. Hi, this is DJ McHale, and you are listening to the fabulous GeneBookNerd.com.